Not everything metal was created equal. What an ugly thing to say. The Metal Sucks Podcast. Shiggity Chuck and Godless attempt to bring order to chaos or just make stupid jokes about dumb people. Stupid. A person below normal intelligence. This is the Metal Sucks Podcast. Greetings and salutations, yeah. my fine metal friends. Welcome to another edition of the Metal Sucks Podcast. How are you doing? I'm Chuck. I'm Godless. And this is As your weekly we examination all. of all things metal, the Metal Sucks Podcast, where we talk about metal and things and stuff like that. Uh, this week, we've got a good show for you, man. we got uh, Yal Levy. We're going to do another one minute to midnight. Everybody loved that first time we did it. I thought it was a very good segment. Yeah, cool. you know. And uh, this week, oh boy. Good ones. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. Well, that's. We'll see what we'll see what Yal has to say. They definitely some good criticism and good stuff uh, to talk about. So, also we'll make sure that we post up on uh, Twitter how to get your band submitted to that as well. So, because we're going to keep doing that as a, as a regular recurring segment, and we want you uh, your band to get in on it if you if you want to get a critique from a real you know industry professional, somebody who's got good ears, and and definitely y'all's got good ears. And, and you know what? It, it's also really cool to listen to the segment for your own band because you can hear other bands make the same mistakes you are making, right? And they can get you know, and that's kind of the point. Is that, that they can enjoy. Well, you it. hear what you hear what somebody in the industry says about something, and they go, "Oh, wow, I hear that totally in what we're doing or what's yeah. going on." So uh, make sure that you're following us uh, on Twitter. I'm at Bearded Ape. I'm at Godless Speaks. So we'll make sure we post that up at some point and uh, and and all that stuff. And make sure that you're uh, subscribed to the podcast and stuff on iTunes. Just search Metal Sucks Podcast. You will find us. Leave us a couple of stars. Tell us that we suck. And then also five uh, stars. Five uh, stars. You know, whatever. A star God. here, or there, and then uh, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, look for us, man. Uh, but uh, you know, Twitter uh, unfollow uh, Godless Speaks because he's an asshole on Twitter. <laughs> all right. Uh, just so you know, after last week's episode, you butthole, don't even show up for the interview, and then I you talk shit on Twitter. I couldn't make the interview. I <sighs> so much wanted to, but the the timing was just it was uh, impossible for me to make. Uh huh. And yeah, thanks, dude. And so I got to like listen to the show. You know, like or, I'm sorry, listen to the interview a couple days later. And that's what happens when good cop comes in and does an interview. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm good cop, and, and you didn't you ask any of the questions that I emailed you ahead no, of time because uh, <laughs> there is a reason because uh, you wouldn't have asked those questions if you were Are sitting you there in kidding? person. I am not kidding. I have asked those kinds of questions to people before. Yeah, but you know, you, you, yeah. So I'm listening to the interview, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like. First of all, I'm just having a, a, a field day because I've never watched that show because I look at the guest list and it's like, why in the world would I spend my really? time? Really? You never watch that show? No. Wow. That's a, that's actually, I mean, anything with the name metal in it on VH1 MTV or whatever, I've always watched it. Uh, yeah. but Just because I'm, because if if nothing else, I want to see what other people's representation of metal is, you know, whether it was, uh, what was the, the video show that Fuse used to have with the... Uh, with metal Julia or whatever in the middle. And it was all videos and stuff, but I always wanted to see what their, what their taste was or what it was or what it, you know, what it means to them. And cause it's obviously different for everybody. I mean, you know, we're kind of apparently in the whole metal thing. We're like the middle age farts because there are older farts than us that, that, you know, do the metal shows. They're that metal show. So it's like, huh, it's always interesting to see what their take on it is. And yeah. it's that idea of, 
metal in the 80s was you know guns and roses and it's then it's the heavy metal quote unquote yeah but it was funny because like i remember being like i remember like 1989 getting in an argument with somebody over whether poison was metal or not totally bro yeah that's that was ridiculous and it was just like because it was on mtv's headbangers ball therefore it's metal Mm. Ricky Rackman and Adam Curry are deciding what is and what's not metal, right? And I was like, no, no, it's it's that's that's rock. That is rock. Would well, you call Journey metal? No, but they sound Poison sounds just like Journey. So therefore, that's rock. That's a different thing. You have to you have to have some sort of Black Sabbath influence to be considered metal. Mm. And Poison and all these other crap hair rock bands that shows like that metal show continue to talk about are not metal that is rock and it's it's metal this persistent attempt to appropriate a genre for its value as a cult following and 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 jameson talked about that the way that that people would you know you if you're a metal fan you stick with it for life and and that's very true but some of that has to do with the branding of metal and feeling like you are one of the many who's fighting against the majority poison firehouse winger all that shit was the majority but it's also about how that's what we're fighting against well how how and who defines it you know so i mean why why are you the guy just like why is adam curry or ricky rackman why were they the guys to be able to define what this is or what's not why are we the guys to define what metal is or isn't so it's so on the same i know exactly why the first it's because of why are we defining it the reason that they are defining it that way is this this very very malicious and uh, a, a no. marketing tool. I swear to God, they're just trying to try to come up with some way to validate that bad music, and and that that's how they do it. When no, I tell I, you I, that, I, I completely when disagree. I tell you that it's not metal, I, me speaking from my heart and with years and years of of practiced wisdom. And that 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 can tell you exactly where the lines are and where they're not. I'm and start I think turning that, your microphone down now. It's, it's, <laughs> the bullshit is starting to flow. No, dude. It's but, still no excuse but to tweet. Honest, ass, yeah, honest to God, it has to have some sort of Black Sabbath influence. That's that is the element that makes the difference. But what I'm saying is, is that if you are if you were born in the '60s, like if you if if your birth date has a six in it in the year anywhere like that. Your definition of metal is different. It's going to be different. Heavy metal thunder was something that was not, it was not a Black Sabbath in influence. That was not what that was. I mean, it's, and I kind of made the analogy that I sort of made, not in the interview, but the way I was thinking about it in my head was, was that, was that the, if you had done a show, 10 years prior to that metal show it would it's almost like you would be talking about nothing but deep purple and blue cheer and those bands the problem i have is that i kind of try to get into that a little bit with them with the with the new why are we not talking about newer music than what's there but i still think that their definition of metal was the definition of metal in the 80s so you know it's like that's it's okay that, it's okay that's what it was it's okay for people to be wrong <laughs> but when you've got 30, 40 years to make an adjustment and realize that you are wrong and be something right, you do it. Well, the other the other mark of that is, too, is that you are they are 
on TV and trying to get a bigger audience, and you don't get a bigger audience with smaller bands. No, they're not so, trying to. You know. No, they're not trying to get a bigger audience. If they were, they'd have an interesting show. They wouldn't come on the Metal Sucks podcast. Exactly. <laughs> well, no, but but it, all right. So anyway, I spent like the whole. They're trying the, to get the, a bit. That's why they talked to us. The beginning dude. of the interview, I'm just spending my time like cracking jokes about how old and irrelevant not only that show but uh, you know their their taste on yeah i know i read your tweets yeah yeah and then and then he said something that that's what set me off like for good was when he when you asked him what is the best interview you had oh yeah best guest because he wouldn't answer the worst right (laughs) dick move (laughs) he when he when he does that right so um uh 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 he says ted nugent yeah now, and then he says, oh, well, it was great because we just handed him the mic, sat back, and let him take over until the interview was over, and then the show was over. And I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't believe that somebody would say something so awful as that. And this is why Ted Nugent is a sexist, homophobic, bigoted, child-raping dickhead. And that is... That you cannot a call that type of person your best guest, and then b not challenge them when they start to spout out the sort of dumb shit that comes out of that mouth. Mm. Yeah, but I think that there's also you give that person that rope and you let them go with it. It's because it, to me that tendency is, is that if they're going to spout that kind of crazy stuff you just let them do it because then you can post that's the stuff that goes viral that's how you that's how you get it out there you You know but you can totally give them the rope but you got to tighten the noose at least at some point Mm, maybe and if you don't then you know what you're not you're you're handing them a rope to pull them through you're not handing them a rope to to let them kill themselves with yeah You, you have to challenge them when they say dumb shit otherwise all you're doing is validating their dumb ideas that his kind of dumb ideas have a very real audience there are people who believe it there are people who live it and 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 it those types of people need to be made aware of how incredibly dumb, useless, and 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 pointless them and their lives are. But at the same time, what happens is when you do that and you go on the attack on somebody like that, all you do is reinforce those people to believe what that person is saying because what they do is, is they don't realize that – He's talking out of his ass. What they realize is that everybody else is against him. So it it turns him into a martyr. So on some token, it's like, well, let his words hang in. Let let those things hang out there. And I can totally see the the validity behind that because let him say what he's got to say. If you start attacking him. They don't listen to what you're saying. They don't listen to the valid argument because obviously they th- this this argument's kind of dumb in the first place. So what happens is they get mad at the interviewer and they flip on they flip on it and turn th- that person into a, a martyr. To, so no. because because what happened what happened is, is no matter what what Nuge, Nuge's history is, the people that have attacked him. Uh, they got they got turned into the bad guys by the NRA. They got turned into the bad guys by everybody else because they, because they were the ones that were talking free speech. You're all about free speech. Well, why can't he speak his mind? And that's how that gets that that gets turned and framed because nobody, including yourself, watched him on the fucking metal show. So that so that so that's what I'm saying is that they're not watching the full interview. They're not watching what he's actually saying and listening to what he's going to say and realizing that it's fucking crazy ass 
kooky whatever it is they're just going by this is the sound bite and the headline that i saw on this thing and that's how they go by it and that's what people do today when all of those people go on the attack for anybody who's attacking somebody for being stupid all it does is reinforce that stupidity and eventually their arguments fail but the problem is is that for you and me the stupidity that comes out of ted nugent's uh, face is absolutely i mean how could you not know how dumb that is how could you isn't that self self-evident we're in but texas how but, do you know how do you know i know plenty of people who think that that stuff but it's not you know. it's not obvious to these people and that needs to be pointed out and it's the responsibility of the person who's giving an, that audience uh exposure to these bad ideas it's that person's responsibility mm. to call it out I can see that on some level, but at the same time, it's like I, I you give them the platform, you let them hang themselves. People make their own judgment. No, call. you keep on saying they need to hang themselves. What I'm saying is somebody's got to tie the noose. And if you do not do that, then you did not. You, you're not handing yeah, them the, a rope. But All the, you're doing is handing them no, a stage. The noose is public opinion. That's the whole point is that it's, but it's public a, opinion is being it, it can go any which way. And if nobody is challenged on bad ideas, then those bad ideas eventually start to get get more and more of an audience because nobody is taking a moment to think. Oh no, that that doesn't make any sense. Mm, that well, the, nobody nobody's taking a moment to think in nowadays. Really, uh, no exactly. Way. So we we as the interviewers, we have a responsibility to come out and say it. Come out and say no. You what you just said doesn't make sense. Mm. It doesn't make sense. And I'm gonna I, now let's let's talk about that. Or what you just said offends me to my core. And let me tell you why. And then you tell me why I'm wrong. Now we've got an interesting conversation along with somebody being challenged. And my hope would be that, yeah, there's going to be assholes from the NRA who would go, I want my guns is all I want my guns, whatever. But you're also going to have people who've got who subscribe to these kind of bad ideas, but they've never heard a contrary opinion. They've Mm -hmm. always figured out a way to shelter themselves by watching nothing but fox news or whatever and they can and they but can you also have to be never prepared. you also have to be prepared for that argument on the other side you know and and that's the thing is that i don't think that metal show is that sort of stage for something like that then they shouldn't have them on they shouldn't have them on they shouldn't give them that audience yeah because they, all they're doing at that point is validating it. is it wango is it tango you know we may hey dude you gotta it's it's the nudes bro but we may have you know like people with some pretty awful ideas on our show and I would I, I I I desperately want those people because I want to challenge them on those bad ideas. I want to and and if the, I'm wrong, that's why we have Doc on, them, right? <laughs> yeah. If I if I'm wrong, I want them to Love tell you, me why. There's no reason why something that I believe is right all the time. I'm willing to be to to admit when I'm wrong. It's happened once or twice my entire life, <laughs> and I'm willing to let that happen again. Uh, have I? No, I don't think I've ever gotten you. Have I? Yeah, yeah. you did uh, once. Did I get you one time? Yeah, you maybe? got me once. Okay, I can't remember what it was. In almost uh, two two years, <laughs> I think I've gotten you one time. Yeah, great. To at least admit that you were wrong. God, yeah, no yeah, I, 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 I really wanted to talk about this because. All right, so the other part of, the, of it is, and and I'm sure Don Jameson and these other guys experienced too. When you're sitting and you're talking to somebody, and especially when they're charismatic, like Don Jameson is, like Ted Nugent. Yeah. etc and they tell you something you're our um, and uh, our human nature is to want to believe the person who's speaking to us as they're saying it yes and it and sometimes the the uh the automatic response is 
yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And and it takes a lot of uh, exercise and a lot of, um, uh, I don't know what the word is, but it's not natural to us to go, wait a minute, hold on, let's unpack what you just said for a second. That's hard to do because mm-hmm. you're thinking about so many things at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, I get that, but I think that that's still something that, that oh, if you're going to have Ted Nugent on, you know he's going to say something stupid, you have to be prepared as an interviewer, to respond to that stupidity. So. No matter what the stupidity might be. When we book Ted Nugent, we'll be prepared, right? Oh, dude. <laughs> dude. <laughs> you know All right, it. so tell me about 1974. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so we're, what we're, is it like? We're going all the way back. What is it like, Ted, to have sexual intercourse with a 15 year old girl that that's what i'd really like to know <laughs> and we start the interview yeah, yeah. let's start there all right cool good times <laughs> cool. i remember that uh you know it is it is an interesting though i mean and uh, interviewing people is not the easiest thing in the world to do obviously i mean we, we we've done quite a few uh, quite a few and still learning oh and, my god yeah no and every single time it's something different it's something new something do we try something else or whatever and i mean it's you never know and it's always uh, subject to we're, we're even we're going to be doing a panel there in south by southwest about uh, about interviewing as well and it's something that is and also whatever your whatever your purpose is changes the way that you do it as well so whatever your end goal is in mind you change the way that you act or react to whatever somebody's doing as well so you know when we've got sort of an open air well fuck it we can record for an hour let's we 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 can take those jaunts and go down those roads and try those things but when you're jam-packed into a into a TV show where the time is tight and you've got 50 other guests and everything else going on. I can see where you just go, okay, and bam, here's this question, you know, f- floaters, man, you're not going to take that time to do something in depth, quote unquote, and really spend the time with it unless you were going to do it as an add on later on. But I so, think, but if you're you know. having Ted, all right. So if, if it's sports center, right. And we've only got four minutes to, to, to do the interview. And we're going to talk to the football player who not only beats his wife regularly, but also thinks it's not a, bad idea the first question out of your mouth has to be talk to me about beating your wife it has to be that and if you're having ted nugent on it's not that what he's playing guitar on right now that matters well, you're it's di- what's coming out of his well, mouth that well matters. You're di- like i said you're di- it's and that's gonna be different because i guarantee you that okay you're talking about sports center and they may pack that into a six second or six minute little interview segment that they put in there but i guarantee you that an interview is probably an hour and a half long so well, how's that different from that metal show and well the it's different because they're doing it in front of a live audience and they're doing and they're doing it sort of as they go versus editing after the after the fact so what that what you don't see in like that sports center interview is all the warm-up questions and everything that dude asked him to get to that point he didn't come out of the gate and go hey by the way why why'd you rape somebody or why what you know they didn't they don't come out of the gate and do that why not because that's not how you get somebody to respond to you i I, I think there's different ways to do it there's different ways to do it obviously but i I think that somebody that's in the middle of a controversy or somebody that's in controversy and, and and ready for that stuff their first tendency is going to be to shut down so if you can get them actually just chatting about stuff when has ted nugent ever ever 
I'm not talking. About, I'm just saying in been, general. No, Ted Nugent, you just need to throw. You you don't even. You just hand him the microphone. But you can't do that. You got to make sure that you hold him against the wall. You yes, know, you I know. Just hand him a microphone. I know, but you. But what? That's what I'm saying is that no matter what you say to him, he's going to respond. Yeah, that's true. He probably will. Yeah, I don't know. Well, or you know, you just don't know. You never know what they, uh, what they show. It's it's, it's and, different every day. You know what? If you get Ted Nugent to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good time cheer on you cheers uh, bravo yes bravo. yeah all right well we gotta get to we gotta get into our segment here uh one minute to midnight uh, we gotta listen awesome. to some new music and uh and and review critique maybe help out the careers of some metal musicians Eyal levy and one minute to midnight a band has one minute or less to make a lasting impression on a label producer or fans. One minute, One minute to be weighed and measured. 60 seconds. One minute to midnight. Welcome back to the triumphant return of One Minute to Midnight with A.L. Levy. Uh, we do one minute of a song that was submitted from uh, bands that uh, uh, um, listen to the podcast and readmetalsucks.net. Exactly. And, and we basically can tear you apart or no. build you up either way. We you found never some know. good stuff last time. I think so. All right. So we got uh, uh, all you there. You good? Everything's groovy? Everything's very groovy. I'm very good. Kick all ass. right. Awesome. All right. So let's start with the first one right away. It's uh, Two Side Moon. Okay. They, so, hey, yeah. is that, that going to be the big <laughs> wow? The next big thing in metal, or what? No, I don't think so. <laughs> but it's not to say that the band doesn't have any talent or anything. It's just they're doing the same thing that I've heard a lot of bands do when they're submitting for a critique, which is submitting stuff that's not done. I mean, they might think it's done, but it's not done. It's it's just sounds like a writing demo um guys get your vocals tuned it doesn't mean you have to sound like like t-pain or anything but people these days are used to hearing vocals that are in tune it doesn't it doesn't really fly with the modern listener anymore to have slightly out of tune vocals that's a thing from older eras where people had to record onto tape and couldn't really edit their performances that well so if they were slightly sharp or slightly flat that was fine but nowadays when everybody has the ability to get a copy of autotune or melodyne or hire someone who can who can do that stuff there's no excuse for submitting something with vocals that are out of tune 
So that's number one is I would hold things to a higher standard and not just don't just submit things to people because there's a chance to submit that doesn't do you any good. I mean, maybe in this case it will, because if they listen to my advice and fix the problems, then that may have helped them. Yeah, which is sort of but, the idea, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it is it is sort of the idea, but at the same time, it just leads me to believe that this is the kind of thing that they would be submitting to a label or to, you know, this is probably what they think is their best work. It just, you know, I'm going, I don't know for a fact I don't know these guys, but I'm guessing that if they submitted this, it's because they're proud of it, but they want to get better. But it's also their calling card, or what they think is their calling card. I'm, not, I'm guessing they didn't submit what they think is their worst song. So that would be number one, is tune those vocals. Number two, the drum programming is not good. So those are obviously not real drums, and if they are, wow, you fooled me, but... I think that the drum programming is just super basic and super poor and doesn't give any real groove to anything that's going on. And that brings me to my next point of criticism, which is that especially in the first half of what we were hearing, it sounded to me like everything, like vocals and music were just kind of going together, like everything following everything else. And that doesn't really that doesn't really work too much. I mean, obviously, there's no rules for writing music, and uh, I say that I say that everything following everything else, like vocals following the riff, following the drums, doesn't work. And people will submit ten examples of where it does work, but in general, that type of thing doesn't work. The vocals being the lead instrument should be playing off of the music uh the music should be complementing the vocals they should be intertwining and working together but with everything just following everything else it doesn't really go anywhere and it sounds kind of half-assed and then being out of tune and with bad drum programming it sounds mega half-assed also your synths are too loud that first, I get exactly what you're saying. That first part was like, what? They're just all sort of ebb and flow, and they're going with the melody. and With each other. Everything's like all there. And the last like 10 seconds, they sort of caught my attention a little bit. But yeah, because they went all in Nothrock. Yeah, exactly. And they're trying, we're trying to do something there. But now, when you talk about autotune, are you, are you talking about like, a, you're not talking about aggressive autotune. You're just trying to make sure that the vocals are in tune. <laughs> All right, let me uh, say something about tuning vocals. That sound that people associate with aggressive vocal tunings or overtuning or whatever you want to call it, the T-Pain sound, that is the plug-in fucking up. That's not the way that it sounds when you just tune something well. That is literally drive what you do when you you drive the plugin insane to produce that type of sound. That's not the way that tuning sounds when it's done right. When it's done right, you can't even hear it. It's on every record that's out nowadays. So again, it's like uh, to get that particular T-Pain sound or the share sound or whatever you want to call it, you have to actually try to get that sound. So no, I definitely don't mean that at all. I just mean not be out of tune <laughs> so tune the tune <laughs> you want to be a little more orinoco flow and a little less t-pain <laughs> or just sing it in tune 
Yeah, sing in tune. That that would help. Sing, yeah. So, what what uh, artists that you've worked with have you had to totally rescue with that kind of software? It's not about rescuing. I, I'll say that with even the best vocalists I've worked with, like um, say Chris Burrito from Monuments, who's phenomenal. Yes. We did some vo- we yeah, okay. He's, so he's, the, did- he's the Mike Patton of the 21st century. I've said this many times. Oh yeah, he's unbelievable and recording him was one of the high points of my recording career and we did do some tuning, not because he was singing out of tune, but because that's where our modern ears want to take us. The like that's what people want to hear. That's and obviously we didn't have to there was no fixing involved it's just a matter of how you process the audio to keep it in line with modern standards so it's not even about rescuing things man it's about doing things that are up to standard that's you know that's that's what it's about is uh is not submitting things that are below the bar out of out of tune vocals are below the bar well, let's see if Death Ape Disco is up to up to snuff here. So, sixty seconds of a song called Ten Thousand Years" from Death Ape Disco. Ten thousand years. that one out they didn't give us just 60 seconds that was a whole song so yeah all right where are we stand on that one hey all we think i like the name the, <laughs> i think i think death ape disco or the ten thousand years death ape disco uh and i'll forget that i know dog fashion disco but uh yeah i was well, thinking the know, same I'll, thing i was like wait a minute there's some other animal on a disco yeah so i'm gonna pretend that that doesn't exist but while I'm pretending that, I can say that I like the, I like Death Ape Disco name. It's cool, but I, I, it sounds to me like they have fun making music. Like I can hear it. It's got good energy, and it seems like they enjoy it, and that's cool. I'm not really sure where it fits in nowadays or anything. And uh, I checked out the cover art, which I think looks extremely outdated. So, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe this is just for fun, and they're not really worried about promoting it right or, you know, making the vocals a little more modern-sounding. Maybe that's not important to them. And if that's not important to them, then, you know, more power to them. But if they want to, you know, compete in the modern world, I think that they... uh 
they could stand to update a few things and a their presentation uh, i know we're, we're critiquing the music but i think that presentation is just as important as the music when it comes to the career of a band uh you can you can have the coolest music ever and if, if your presentation sucks nobody's going to care because humans are visual creatures um and if you were to point out to me that there's some bands who don't have a gimmick and don't have a show like opeth for instance i would say to you that that is their gimmick no gimmick is their gimmick and they still do have a gimmick they look like they were in led zeppelin or something so um i would say to death ape disco to ask themselves whether or not they're doing this for fun or for real and if they're doing it for real i would suggest updating the hell out of their presentation as well as considering doing something a little more modern with the vocals now it's not really my place to judge on the genre but you know that's that's really what came to mind so you're telling the band they need to oust the singer <laughs> it's not that it's i mean he sounds like he's pretty good uh i just wonder where they're trying to go with it like i just i just I just don't understand what the. Well, it sounded the, like the bridge is for the chicks. Well, I see the. I see that they're from London, so all, the first thing that popped into my head was Orange Goblin. So I'm like, okay, oh. this is a, the, this is going trying to go that stoner rock sort of thing that Orange Goblin. Yeah, did. but 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 with more chicks in the audience, <laughs> maybe a couple more here and there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's always and to bring up the artwork and, and that thing, it always is. It's so funny when you find a band that. Um, uh, for years, I've said this about Revocation, uh, that I've always felt like the look of some of the stuff that they've done didn't quite represent the is what they do on an album. And I always felt like that was part of the reason why people didn't know where to put them. And it makes it hard for an audience to go, wait, this is this looks like death metal. So it should sound like this. But it's like, you know, you know and it's, it's hard for people to pigeonhole it in their mind even though that's not what we want to do you know obviously but which know. could be a good thing yeah could be well yeah but i i don't even think that the artwork or the presentation is good for another time period <laughs> <laughs> or, no, or another genre <laughs> yeah that's sort of like that that thing was it good for you and she says i don't think this was good for anybody <laughs> yeah well look man it just it just seems like it was done really really on the cheap which look i get it if bands are paying for everything out of their own pockets and they don't have the budget to get top of the line dudes to do everything i get it but you need to understand how people that are consuming your music are going to look at you things like image uh, are a very very quick yay or nay in the eyes of the in the eyes of the public you know if you if you give something that looks like that to somebody they may not even listen to it just because it looks like it's some you know photoshop circa 1997 or they're flipping by on itunes looking for the next thing or it's mm -hmm. you know and they it doesn't grab them well they just look like they have like if they had a website it would be a GeoCities site or something. It's just, <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, and that's, and like I said, it seems like musically they're having fun. They're not like 
pandering to modern sounds, which is, you know, I guess that's kind of cool. But there would be a way to package that, I think, to where if you want to do, if you want to not pander to modern sounds and do your own thing, you can do that, but you have to present it in a way that, you know, that works. And this, the way it's presented doesn't work. So, A.L. Levy, you got uh, uh, boot camp March twenty March 20th through 22nd. Yeah, March 20th through 22nd in Orlando. It's going to be myself and my amazing guests, the mega producer Joey Sturgis. We've got Keith Marrow and Alex Rudinger. And, yeah, Rudy, Rudy is a human drum computer. But we're going to be showing you guys how real recordings are done. It's going to be between 30 and 40 hours of intense how-to. And, yeah, we're going to be recording Rudy, recording Keith. Joey will be talking through a lot of his mixing techniques. It's going to be pretty badass. And you can find out about that at unstoppablerecordingmachine.com. There's a sign-up page. And come hang. Do people need to fly into Orlando for this, or has it got an on- online version as well? Oh, no. This is definitely not online. The The big thing about the boot camps is that they are exclusive to the people who show up in person. And, you know, some of these artists that I get for this, like I had the Trivium guys at the last one. I did one with another one with Keith Marrow and Anna Sastry in Portland before that. And, you know, to get these guys to actually reveal their secrets to people and like, you know, the, the real shit, they're not going to do that on video. Joey Sturges as well. Like for him to actually come out and tell people that level of detail as to how he does things, that is specifically for the people there. It's, it's not, it's not fair to charge people what we're charging and then just put it up on the internet for anybody. It's not cool. That's awesome. Kick ass. Exclusive. So this has been one, one minute to midnight. Uh, if you're listening to this while you're working the cash register at CVS, please do not sell razor blades to two sided moon and death ape disco. <laughs> <laughs>
New music from Keep It Coalescent on the Metal Sucks podcast. That one's called Introspection. Uh, the rest of the album, like all the songs are, what, like 9, 10, 12 minutes long, something like that. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's adventurous, if you will. I dig it. Uh, yeah, yeah, so far, anyway? So far. All right, good times. Now, our second guest, we've already had Ia Levy on the show uh, for today doing our one, one Minute to Midnight, but somebody who we've been trying to get on the podcast for quite some time. I know that Godless has been he, harping he on this for a while. He doesn't know that I have, but yeah. <laughs> God, Godless has been in my email for like maybe a year and a half now because we wanted to get, to get, get the guys from Decibel on to talk about everything under the sun <laughs> i mean i'm like so what do you want to talk about with i don't know i just want to i don't care <laughs> so so we've got uh, we've got albert mudrian on from decibel and uh if you don't know what decibel is it's the uh, only metal magazine that's out there really yeah i mean it, it's it's coke and it doesn't even need pepsi it's a great magazine oh and also albert's also got his uh the new version of his new book history of extreme metal uh it's coming out so albert how are you um well that's quite an introduction uh, i'm just trying to take that all in right now but uh but yeah thank you thank you for the kind words about the magazine uh we are i guess the last man standing as it were so uh the bar for competition isn't particularly daunting at the moment but we'll take any any plot that says um as the best magazine out there and, and thank you yeah you there's still a couple out there and you definitely rise above those for sure so i've got, been paying attention so, so dude real quick that your history is it decibel and then the history of extreme metal ver, the first version of the book or was it history of extreme metal came out and then de- you, you work with decibel uh well the truth is I, I started writing the book in 2002 um and that's pre-decibel that's the book was finished in late 2003 this is the original version we're talking about obviously it's finished in late 2003 and was released in like october of 2004 which was about a month after the first issue of decibel hit newsstands and i say that uh in the loosest sense of the word because we had such terrible distribution it probably hit newsstand actually <laughs> back at the back in that day but it was um th- th- you know the book was completed but not released and then decibel i started working on decibel when the book was done but they came out essentially at the same time gotcha Mm. all right so uh you got the the new chapters added to the book because so much has changed since you published it the first time you got new chapters that you've added to the book and uh one of those chapters is about uh well just the the return of so many of these great uh, extreme metal bands that, that have been reuniting over the last few years. Yeah, because like the last couple of years, we've had you know what Carcass come back and put a new record at the gates. You know, so many, exactly. so many of these acts that are like reappearing on the scene. And so right. uh, we got a question this week uh, off of our speak pipe. So everybody go to a speak pipe and ask questions. So we wanted to uh, uh, pop this question in because it, it felt it like played in perfect with what we we're going to talk about. Hi guys, this is Trent from Australia, where we have the annual Soundwave Festival, which is pretty cool. We're only a small market out here um, so we don't get a huge amount of uh, metal festivals Um, what I have noticed and my questions about uh, festival headliners I've noticed over the past couple of years most of the headliners we've had for Soundwave have been I suppose you could call them heritage acts we've had bands like Iron Maiden, Faith No More, um, Metallica who are all great bands, I love them all, but there's an audience for those bands who are 40 plus years of age and my question is who are the bands who are going to break through that glass ceiling and reach that upper echelon of metal bands that a promoter is able to really build a big-ass festival around? Because I just don't see it happening anytime soon. Do we have to wait 
another 10 years before Metallica shuffles off this mortal coil and just hope that a band like Machine Head, say, are still hanging around and are going to be able to actually fill that slot. Um, love the podcast, guys. Look forward to hearing your answer. Cheers. So what do you, what do you think, Albert? I mean, what what's sort of the relationship between these legacy acts and, and the festivals? Um, I mean, here's the problem. These legacy acts... And whether they're legacy acts within the smaller scene of death metal and grindcore, or legacy acts within the mainstream scene, like of just you know mainstream metal like Metallica or Lamb of God or whatever, these bands they just won't stop. Um, so right now it's kind of difficult to dethrone them as a new generation comes up. So just in that sense, you can't even really figure out who is going to be next until those guys decide to pack it in because there's no, they can't, nobody's allowed to join them. You know, they're, yeah. they're, it's like, they're their own thing. They're their own generation. And these bands are just kind of like sitting around, like snap, you know, tapping their feet, waiting for them to get their chance. But the truth is, I don't even think it, when it, when it comes time, like, I don't think there's going to be anybody who can really replace them because the whole the whole landscape of developing an artist to that size um, in the pop sense of the word or in the metal sense of the word, it's just completely changed since those bands became megastars. You can't develop acts like that anymore. Nobody's going to go around. There isn't going to be like a new metal band that comes out and can go out and headline 12,000 seat arenas anymore. It's just not going to happen. The days are over. So saying that there's going to be some kind of band that rises up, you know, whether it's, whether it's a strong touring band like Behemoth or Amon Marth or something like that, bands that do draw a decent, decent audience and do have decent record sales. It's still so many, like so many levels below what a Metallica is able to do or, or honestly even what like even what a slayer was able to do so for me i just i don't see anything coming up and ever replacing those bands i just see the dynamic of the festival having to shift once those bands decide okay we're not going to play anymore what would that new dynamic look like Dude, if I knew, do you think I'd be like pumping out? Do you think I'd be pumping out revised books? I'd be getting (laughs) in on that festival money. (laughs) Well, one of the things I thought was real interesting that I that I read in in, uh, your book is the just the idea that it was the festivals that have gotten some of these bands back together. It wasn't like the bands got together and then they try to find a, a gig. You know what I mean? Well, there. Well, I mean, you got to think about it, especially in the sense of death metal and, and grindcore, and and where there's a smaller market to begin with. A lot of these bands naively didn't even know that anybody gave a shit at this point. Like, it was yeah, really like so many years after the fact. And if you're not like tuned into the internet, and again, keep in mind, ten years ago when a lot of these bands really just kind of started getting this back together. Some of them was only like five, six years ago that they really started uh in earnest starting to starting to perform together or write together or whatever like you don't know that there's that much interest and until somebody comes with you with a concrete offer and says look here is x amount of dollars we want you to play then all of a sudden it becomes hmm well maybe we need to play or maybe maybe it would be fun to play you know sometimes you just need some kind of reason and um and it's not that 
not that these people were unwilling, uh, some of them anyway. Or, uh, I mean, you do read in the book that some of them had some very specific reasons for not wanting to perform this music or not wanting to perform together or, or whatever it was or just letting their legacy lie intact. But I think that once they got going, the that old feeling just really kind of kicked in for a lot of them. And before they knew it, it was like, okay, yeah, we can play some, sh- we can play the show, and okay, we can do this little tour, and you know, maybe it wouldn't be the bad idea for us to jam in some new songs, or and oh hell, we got a whole album here, let's put it out. And then all of a sudden, they're an active band again, and they're playing bigger shows and on better tours than they were 20 years ago when death metal was well maybe 25 years ago when death metal was really at its height in popularity well one of the things you were writing about too is just how like some of these bands they'd be lucky to get you know 25 people to show up when they play in uh, topeka on a wednesday but they could play a festival in maryland and you know uh, you know hundreds of people or a thousand people will show up to see it and then that makes it worth it yeah and i mean that again that's very specific of of festival culture and one one U.S. festival in particular, Maryland Death Fest, like that is, you can't really replicate that anywhere else. I think that you can do some, you know, I, I, I guess there's some some New York fests that I've heard of that, you know, they'll cram a few hundred people in and there'll be some obscure bands that headline it and 800 people will be freaking out, blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, that's cool. I'm glad that happens. But I don't think you see it anywhere else on a consistent basis like you do at Maryland Death Fest. And to the credit of the, the co-founders, they've really built something unique that um can can just house that and and the fact that that that, like i said that that there are you know two thousand people in a parking lot in downtown maryland freaking out because nirvana 2002 are playing their first u.s show and everybody in the everybody in the parking lot will tell you that oh yeah they had the nirvana 2002 demo back in the day when really there were like 400 copies of it pressed (laughs) you know but still that's so much of that just has to do with the way the internet has developed in really in in the past 10 years there's no no one's really obscure anymore you know you can you can really you can find anything and and you can get deep 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 into anything and and it's it's a different mindset and um I don't know. It, there's definitely positives and negatives, and one of the positives that I've seen is just that that experience from Maryland Death Fest and a lot of kind of old school underground death metalers getting to see things that we never imagined uh, we'd ever get the chance to see, especially in the United States. Well, it's weird because it sounds like that's kind of the catch twenty two. Is that it's also what's keeping these bands alive or keep you know resuscitating them and bringing them back to the scene? How do we kill off the old guard? So I mean, you know, how do how do we make them stop now? I mean, once uh, now that Frankenstein monster has just been, you know, we keep breathing life back into it. But I mean, if there's those people that want to see Carcass or there's those people that want to see at the gates again, I mean, you can't you can't kind of argue with that either, you know. It's well, like, you can't, but it's also there's a generation of kids who didn't see it. You know, there's yeah. a generation of of kids who were raised on dark darkest hour and black dahlia murder records and had no idea that oh wait there is this band there's bands that did it before and but they weren't supposed to see it that's why they're gone no no it doesn't work that way we all know yeah okay i was just you know being devil's advocate and i was like you know but i mean what those the survival of the fittest idea is that okay if it's if we're talking about musical darwinism here it's like those guys are supposed to die off and be done and if in and i mean i trust me i mean i want to see them too so it's it's I don't think anybody wants them to die. I think we just want the room to get a little larger, more bands in the room, and some of those bands to be younger. 
But I think, well, I also think too, is that you've got how many festivals now across the United States, whether it's in a, and down to the, like, we're going to have a grindcore festival with 800 grindcore bands all play in this weekend. You would never 10 years ago, 15 years ago, would, would that have happened? No, there weren't, weren't those either. So, well, that's an I, interesting question. Actually, it broadened. I think we've broadened it all the way across. You yeah. know, there's so Albert, when you were writing the book and you published it the first time, could you have predicted that what's, you know, that surgical steel would have happened? You or know like I mean? a, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I mean, not at all. I mean, you got, I just think about the context of when I started putting the book together. And honestly, the vast majority of the the bands who had, who to me were legends who had no longer been playing, whether it was like Carcass or At The Gates or at the time, you know, even Obituary wasn't active and David Vincent wasn't in Morbid Angel. And uh, I mean, I could go on and on about the bands that weren't together when I, uh, when I started putting the book together the first time. Uh, I mean, they seemed all so far removed from doing that. Like Jeff Walker in particular, Carcass seemed like the last thing on his mind would be to, to play in a death metal band again. You know, we used to joke around about who he quote uh, like he would say, when he when I'd introduce him to some people as my friend and and they'd talk about metal he'd say things like don't you know who I used to be you know it'd be like <laughs> like that sounds it, like Jeff Walker and yeah. it, it's so it, it's really it it was such a different mindset back then but I think that again just. The, over time and the internet again playing such a, a huge role in in the proliferation of this not to mention a, a whole new generation just being born into it and then a generation that was my generation somebody who's you know pushing 40 like this is for us yeah we're a bit nostalgic about that stuff too so i think all of those factors kind of created the perfect storm to to allow this to develop the way it has but again i wouldn't have I would have never imagined that those bands would have been playing any reunion shows, let alone cranking out albums as good as Surgical Steel and At War with Reality. Like to me, it's just kind of mind blowing that that that's happened. Yeah, and it's funny because like we were talking about uh, Chuck and I were talking about Creator before we started recording, and you know, like their last album, I think, is every bit as good as uh you know their early 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 stuff and and to me it's it sh- almost shocking and then you got a band like insomnium or or um enslaved who are putting out the best music of their career now steel wheels should have happened for them back in like 98 well yeah. right. and well and one of my favorite napalm death you know and the yeah. idea that like a band like napalm that death, new album's awesome you're never turned down like never stopped you know and never gave up and just kept kind of plugging away and I mean, I think Barney was quoted as saying, you know, that's kind of what helped them survive the whole that whole era of when when the extremes kind of sucked back in was the fact that they just kind of kept plugging away and doing what they were doing. And it drove them to work even harder at it, even though you know nobody was coming to shows and nobody was there. So it's almost like the crowd kind of took a turn. And I wonder if that's I wonder if some of that has to do with like the old guard, the the you know, the pushing 40 crowd going by the way, we're here. We'll buy tickets to these shows too. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with those big, like the Soundwave festivals and the, and you know, ACDC playing Coachella and shit like that. You know, it's like the, because those people now they've got some money and they're going to go out and pay for it. You know what I mean? I'm, I think we're also kind of feeding into that, into the cycle too. That, that, that definitely counts for it. But at the end of the day, I think it, so much of it has to do with 
the ability of these bands to still write compelling music. True. You know, like if Carcass came out and released Swan Song Part Two, <laughs> are we like? Does anybody give a shit? No, only I mean, only me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's still that's the thing and i mean napalm in particular i think about them i mean they're they're one of my favorite if not my favorite band and they just a, a lot of people seem to think myself included that they've been underappreciated for a long time because oh, yeah. they never you know there was never that absence there was never that period where you couldn't want to see napalm death or or missed napalm death because mm-hmm. they've always been there sure you can argue about the the quality of some of the records in the mid nineties, if that's not your thing or whatever. But the truth is like you could, you always had Napalm Death to rely on. And I think that the old absence, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Chestnut is definitely true in their case, but I do see they've managed to kind of get past that. They're more popular now. Um, I would think in the past two or three years, and they really have been since the early nineties in the U S well, but at the same time though, you, you start to give like one of the co- things that caller mentioned was like faith, no more, uh, in Soundwave, And that's one of those that, that, you know, absence does make the heart grow fonder, but at the same time, if, if carcass or, so, or, or, um, at the gates put out a shit album after they came back, I, would we call a spade a spade in that in, in that respect, or would it be would would we give it somewhat of a pass because we want it so bad? We'll I'm, have to see. We'll I have to see f- because, as an example, that new Faith No More record is horrible. I, what I've heard so far has been kind of shit. So it's, it's like terrible, and you know we'll see. We'll see what happens because I do. I, I mean, I think that there are a majority of people that will call a spade a spade, and then you'll have the people who are the uh quote haters who are just gonna not like it because it isn't symphonies of sickness or it isn't slaughter of the soul or whatever but you know i i think that the majority of people are going to be excited and give things a fair shake but again whether it it, you can't really tell until like 10 years from now and you kind of see the legacy of the record and of the band what they do next and how it defines them or or what it kind of forces them to do next you can look at it and people can get excited about it and it could be a really good record and both of those records are but again it's really gonna it's gonna take time before you can judge how people are really evaluating it you know i mean like swan, even the joke i made about swan song it's funny because there are, are something that i've seen in the past like five to six years are the swan song apologists <laughs> which um i find it adorable um, <laughs> but and I, I don't i don't hate the record mind you I, I i think that there's some fun stuff on it but for a carcass fan to get that record in 1996 not a fun time no. but <laughs> in the context but but in the context of you know as the years roll on you know who knows maybe in in 2025 i'll be telling you how great Whatever the hell the name of that shitty Faith No More record is. <laughs> hey man, uh, you know, you know, Millie Vanilli is fun, and every once in a while on the dance floor, but you know, I, I can't get behind like owning that record again. You know, dude, you cannot compare Swan Song. To- oh, dude, oh, I can compare Swan man. Song to the shittiest record no, ever. But it, no, yeah, it's no. it's entirely possible. I, but then right. you know, I'll, I'm the apologist. Swan song, Swan song is bad, but it's a hundred times better than Soul and Viticus. Uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> I'll give you so that one. <laughs> what is it that's keeping bands? Or, or let me make this more broad. Who are the extreme metal bands today, under the age of, let's say, thirty-two, 
that mm-hmm. are are gonna be the ones that are that we're gonna remember from from now. The the bands that are relevant now, they're gonna be these legacy bands later on. Why do people always ask me this question? <laughs> well, I mean, it's why like, does everyone think I have the answer to this question? But no, it's it's uh, the dis- I mean, it, it, it's it's a legitimate question. Don't get me wrong. But, but it is think? like it's so hard to evaluate because it's like all right, thirty two. That's a you, you you pick an arbitrary number. It's almost like you you want to take a band's like how many records do they have under their belt? Are they five records in? Are they yeah. eight records in? Are they three records in? And you just kind of look and and you look at that body of work as it is now, and then you start to make your projections. It's just like you know, in some ways, it's almost like being a GM of a major league baseball team where you're like, all right, I'm gonna take this band and or I'm going to take this player and he's had five great seasons in a row, but he's 32. So hmm, the next five years, uh, he's kind of past his peak. Like, is he really going to be able to perform at this level again? And I know it's a different form of evaluation than musicians because you've got people who are in their mid forties who are still like, cranking out some of their best work. And unless they are like Barry Bonds and on the clear, um, I don't, I don't think you can compare those things um, one for one, but I do think it's it's one of those things where it isn't something that you can kind of instantly project, especially since the landscape of how music is sold and consumed and even live um, tours are put on and promoted, and I speak from experience these days, um, it's not really a projectable thing anymore. You just kind of like you kind of have to go with your gut with a lot of this stuff. And and for me, I know that I find it personally difficult to look at the landscape and think, all right, who is going to make a good decibel tour headliner in 2018? You know, because these are some like ridiculous thoughts you have to have as you're, um, as you're working on this stuff. Mm-hmm. But so I don't, have, I, have I successfully dodged the question? Yeah, you did, but well, I'm not going to okay. let you. So when, <laughs> so when you've got a band like Whitechapel or Between the Buried and Me or um, you know some of these other bands that are relevant and get people excited now, perhaps not the same generation that was running out to see uh, to to catch the new at the gates record, but it's that that generation is is not are not these bands similar to that generation as Slayer and uh, Megadeth and and all them were for us back in nineteen ninety. Yes and no, because those bands aren't really doing anything different. I mean, be- between the Buried and Me, maybe. Whitechapel, certainly not. Like, uh, again, I-, I think that, honestly, you might you might look at a band like an Opeth or a Baroness or somebody like that. Yeah, they have a they have a, a fairly – they have a real established career at this point. But is it the kind of thing where, you know, maybe they're the next – to next next band that could kind of rise up to that that next that next level of say hey just under slayer or something like that to me i can't like the bands that excite me when i think about like these bands that 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 i want to project that i want to see become the next important bands of a generation or the next um building blocks or or whatever like they're bands that sell thousands of records so i have just a completely different mindset like for me i look at a band like like Noisem or Nails or In Solitude or Paul Bear or things like that. And those are the bands that I get excited about. Those are the bands that I want to hear what their, you know, fourth and fifth records are going to be. And for I think, me, I think by uh, 2018, Paul Bearer will be finishing up the song they just started playing. <laughs> <laughs> 
possibly. <laughs> but but again, so so for me, I'm I guess I'm coming at it from a different direction. Like the bands you're citing are bands that are already, you know, they are commercially established, commercially viable. They have a fan base, but it's like, where is that fan base? going is that a transient fan base like i think of a, a band like Whitechapel, and what's the average age of their fans 16 17 yeah. like and they, are were, they, gonna, and they were 16 17 uh you know, 10 years or five eight years ago you know so i mean it's it's not like that average age is going up right uh, you know they people will graduate out of it but by right. 1995 1996 we were all transient out of all those bands that we're celebrating again now and well, go, you know what? Maybe those bands just need to break up now, don't they? <laughs> they break up, and hey, 15, 20 years from now, oh my God. I'm just glad to hear like the just the idea of the gut feeling coming back more than anything else because, I mean, that was you know the driving force behind so many of these bands getting signed in the first place. You know, A&R people picking up the bands that they believed in and what was going on and actually going by this instead of looking at it going, okay, here are the numbers. Here's the hard numbers on what they sell, what the ticket sales look like, what their revenue streams are and all that stuff versus going i really fucking love this band and i want to put them on a tour because they're they're great and everybody needs to hear them you know like i i'm, I'm glad to hear that kind of stuff coming up again because I, you know especially bands like like you said like nails and some of those other bands that are on the on kind of that that could be something greater than they are but at the same time are great where they are so it's i just don't think there's enough of that gut feeling being used in the industry anymore so it's fun to hear that that being touted at least a little bit you know that's nice because when i need a job in two years because i've i I haven't been fiscally responsible with my decisions (laughs) i will give you a shout hey hey, hey, dude it's not like we're making any money doing this either so (laughs) but i mean it's but those but those are the gambles that uh, granted the 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 revenue was a lot higher than it used to be in the 90s as far as labels and and that sort of thing so you know your failures could be squashed by one good success so so it, it that's harder to come by now yeah but it's also it, it's also i think the business approach to it and this i, I don't know if this is a, a road you want to get down um it, it's just it's a different animal yeah. and you can you can have things that sell x amount of copies and be be viable to a label whereas um you know in the early 90s if a label had a band that sold ten thousand units maximum they'd probably get rid of them and now if you've got a band that sells ten thousand copies and you're on an indie label you're like all right, what are we going to do to get you to 15,000 copies? This is great. Yeah, so, but the, also 10,000 copies will get you in the Billboard Top 200 nowadays, too. So, Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, say, hey, you're top 10. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Albert, you've spent more time thinking about the history of extreme metal than probably just about anybody alive. So if history repeats itself, what are we in for? What are we in for? Um, Jesus. Uh... I would. I think you're just in for constant change, constant surprises. Um, uh, again, why, why am I always? Why am I fucking Kresgen? Why? Because you uh, wrote the book. Because you wrote the book, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean. Honestly, can we all just live in the moment for a minute, please? Haven't I done enough historical stuff? Right, can we man. all enjoy what's happening right now? Because I do think, I do think there's great things happening now, right now, and I really do. Like, and I think um, sitting down and writing the there's three chapters uh, in the book again, which is why we're here. And go to uh, store.decibelmagazine.com to purchase. Yeah. Um, it is 
sitting down to write the last two, which kind of focus on the past 10 years, um, really, really showed me how great things are right now. Because in my mind, like the original version of the book kind of ends on somewhat of a downer where it's kind of like everybody just keeping on, keeping on. Whereas the, this new version really just kind of highlights like how, how exciting things are for everybody and how much there is to choose from and how many, how many different ways things are developing and how viable um, all of them are, whether it's kind of bands, whether it's new bands with a new sound, new bands with an old school sound, um, old bands trying something new, old bands trying something old. Like there's just so many different, there's just different generations that have crossed and are operating at the same time now. And there's never really been anything like that in the history of the movement before. So, yeah. And uh, dude, the story you've got about Bill Steer being convinced to come back to carcass is such a great story. Everybody's got to read this story. Cause I, it's like, I wish I'd read that before we interviewed him. Right. It's like, ah, so good. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. <laughs> And it's definitely not just about the book. We want to we keep you on tap to talk about all things metal, you know, all the time. <laughs> well, I can. I, I'm available to come back at a time when when I don't have to um, get the the kids to swimming. So, uh, so. swimming. It's the middle of winter. What the what in the world? <laughs> they swim inside. It's okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> History uh-huh. of extreme metal at store.decibel.com. Uh, store.decibelmagazine.com. The book is called Choosing Death, The Improbable History of Death Metal. It's a revised and expanded edition. It's 100 more pages in the original, three new chapters, uh, complete redesign, hardcover uh, book with cover art painted by the legendary Dan Seagrave, who did some of the most memorable covers of Morbid Angel, Entombed, Dismember, etc.
I'm so glad that he's in love with that band the way that I am. I think at least I, f- I get that I get that feeling. I nails, love, I love nails so much. I yeah. really do. They're just oh. wide open wound is the name of that song on the Metal Sucks podcast. I really do love that band. It is cool the way that there are some bands like them and Cavellertack and others that man. It's just like how can you not be optimistic? No, I mean I'm very optimistic about what's coming, but at the same time I don't have a problem with that nostalgia factor either. You know, I th- I, th- yeah. I think that there's some of that, but. Uh, you know, uh, the other thing to go back to what our our caller had said is that, you know, if you if you see Metallica or if you've seen Faith No More, if you've seen those bands on the headliners like, well, you know, the one thing that you can relish in is that that if nothing else. And I know that I know that that's a small market and and all that, but you don't have to pay one hundred and ninety five dollars to go see a fucking band. You know what I'm saying? It's like so you can see Machine Head play in a small club and not have to worry about paying that much money to see him on a big festival. You know, so some of those things are, are it'll work itself out. It'll be good. I, I don't know. It's funny that you bring up Machine Head because he brought him up, too. And it, it when I think about bands that are going to be those legacy bands of the future, I, I have trouble feeling like bands like Machine Head, which to me are more like an aughts band than anything maybe even late 90s uh, yeah, you know totally, what i mean totally. they're, they're not really relevant now but, but they're unfortunately, younger than metallica but, you know it's, exactly it's, it's the younger it's the next generation after metallica perhaps say, you know? yeah but it's still tough to get um you know too uh excited about what it is that's possible for them you know i don't think because they've never gone away you know I yeah think that's got a lot to do with it yeah yeah i mean and and i could totally say yeah there's there's definitely an argument to be made it's like absence does make the heart grow fonder in some respects but you know metallica would metallica be who they were if they didn't have that shit period of the 90s and now everybody's <laughs> like well they're kind of back yeah. okay all right that's okay cool you know they i don't know who knows man are they <laughs> are they i don't know i, don't know, I want to interview metallica's washing machine that's what i want i know right so how long you been on tour what's up hey uh, you smell like dead fish yeah all right good all right, good times we gotta wrap up this damn podcast thanks to uh albert mudrian for uh, being our guest as well as the al levy uh another excellent one minute to midnight segment on this episode uh and we look forward to continuing that we, we got we yeah we're gonna get another one here uh in in april as well so uh, yeah very excellent make sure that you are subscribed to us on uh, itunes and all that good stuff search for mental sucks podcast leave us five stars tell us that we suck uh that's one way you can also get us on stitcher and all that stuff you can contact us i am at bearded ape on twitter i am at godless speaks so uh communicate with us that way and maybe uh maybe speak pipe are you going to talk shit about anybody's uh, anybody on twitter this week i'm going to try okay <laughs> <laughs> but yeah don't forget speak pipe and don't forget uh, uh your no control radio streaming 24 7 metal all Indeed, the time if you're looking for metal constantly just uh at no control radio on twitter or no control radio.com is another way to get it just done. bookmark it people and just know that it's right there it's every half, time you need it it's halfway fun i kind of like it yeah yeah good times All right, until next week, I'm Chuck. I'm Godless. And this is another episode of the Metal Sucks Podcast. Metal Sucks.